Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From our respective apartments, it is the Masson All Access Podcast, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano and Bobby Blanco here with you, as always, just from a different location. Um, we are coming to you each from our apartments. Bobby, you join us here on this beautiful split screen. Um, keep in mind, I am running the podcast as we are talking, including graphics and video for those listening and watching. So uh, please go easy on me. Yeah, please take it easy on Paul. Uh, it's <laughs> not easy to do that when you're not hosting, but doing it all together at once is yeah. tough challenge. Um, we figured better something than nothing uh, content-wise for Nats fans out there and for us too, because so we don't go crazy being held up in our own homes. Um, uh, but yeah, it's not going to look crisp and perfect like it usually does. <laughs> But it'll suffice. It'll be fine. Um, yeah. We'll get through this together, and um, we'll at least have something to talk about, some baseball topics to uh, hopefully distract you from what's going on in the world today. Exactly. Um, you know, obviously, we know that there are more important things, as we said on, I said on the show a couple days ago. There are more important things going on in the world right now than just baseball not being played. Um, but we do want to kind of be a distraction. I know personally I have gotten – more invested in NFL free agency this year than I ever have in any previous year, just because there is literally nothing else going on. Um, so we, you know, we want to try to try to help uh, get you guys through this because um, we're all getting through this together. That's the only way we can get through this is if we're all together while also being apart, six feet apart at the same time. But <laughs> um, yeah, we, we know that there, this is not the most pressing of issues. Um, but we want to make sure that uh, wherever you are, whether you're in your home, um, working from home, um, you know, that you are safe, that you are uh, taking care of yourself and your family, um, and that this is uh, a time for us to, uh, to support each other. So um, thanks for, uh, for hopping on the podcast, and let's distract ourselves with, uh, with some baseball talk here, Bobby. Yeah, uh, we've decided to... You know, we could talk about what's going on with the coronavirus and how it affects baseball and the sporting world and, and the world in general all day long. But I figure people are getting enough of that um, in their daily day, daily lives anyways when they're at home. So we decided we're going to try to go through, uh, and this is also dependent on how long this kind of whole quarantine lifestyle plays out, but we're trying to go through all of the Nationals' 2019 postseason victories uh, and rewatch them all. If you don't know, MLB released all of the 20, I think 18 and 19 season games. They're full length games on MLB.tv for free. You can sign up and watch all those games, any baseball game that you want if you're really wanting baseball, as well as postseason games. Um, also available on YouTube. So Paul and I, over the past couple of days, were able to go back and, of course, have to start with a wild card game, the 2019 NL wild card game between the Nats and the Brewers. Um, we wa I watched on YouTube, Paul. I don't know where you watched, uh, but I it was basically the MLB, yeah, the yeah. MLB.tv broadcast 
Um, so as if, as if you were watching on your computer from home and not watching on TV, but same the same TV broadcast. So yeah, um, let's just get right into it. I, I think we should start first off, Paul. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about what happened leading up to the wild card sure. game. I don't think that gets talked enough about how crazy. I, I think people understand in a general sense how crazy the 2019 season was for the Nationals. Obviously, the 1931, they go 74 and 38 the rest of the way to finish 93 and six, uh, 69. That is crazy that they lost only uh, seven more games over the from May 24th on than they did from the beginning of the season to May 24th. They only 38 versus 31. That's insane. Um, and then they never got really close. to. I think they got within four games or four and a half games of the Braves at some point. So they got kind of close to get the NL East championship, but everyone kind of figured the wild card was the main goal. They end up clinching. Paul, do you remember how crazy it was the day that they clinched yes. the NL wild card berth? I do. I remember because that was a weird five game series against the Phillies at nationals park. Um, and at that point, uh, it, it was a five game series because one of the games was a makeup. Um, and I remember before the series began, we're like, all right, they're probably going to clinch during this series, but there's no way they can have a five game sweep of the Phillies, even though the Phillies were on the downward trajectory and they swept them. And we, it was the game that they swept was this, or the game that they clinched rather was the second game of the double header. And we were all talking about from our studios in Baltimore going down and covering the clinch for the second game. And, and they won the first game on Monday. And on Tuesday, they won the second game, and we're like, we got to go. I, I mean, it, it, because they still needed help to clinch. Um, they, st- they needed to win their game, and then they needed the Pirates to win their game um, in order to clinch the wildcard berth, and it all just came together. It all just happened, um, and it was pretty magical the way it, it came down. The Nats finished their game, and then within about 10 minutes— on the big screen, you saw the other game end, and the Nats got to celebrate on the field before they got into the clubhouse. Yeah, it was a crazy game. Uh, it was a Tuesday, like you said. They, they won the first game Monday night. Tuesday afternoon, they end up winning pretty easily against the Phillies. So that kind of set up the possibility that they could clinch that night. Like you said, they also needed the Pirates to end a nine-game losing streak. Against <laughs> I forgot the about that. <laughs> they, had a, they had a win for the first time in nine games wow. to beat the Cubs. And at some point, Max Scherzer started this game, too, by the way, the night game against the Phillies. And th- this is kind of also a side note of, of this whole story of how they clinch and the wild game in itself. This was his tune up for the wild card game That's right. or a possible game 163. The Nationals needed to see that he could go deep into a game and they could trust him to be the starter for their first postseason game or play in game, whatever it may be. Um because he had only, he was still recovering from his injury. I think he went 110 in his previous starts uh, against the Cardinals, but they needed to make sure that he could c- c- continue to do it uh, and keep his pace up. And at, at one point uh, in the night of the second game, the the Nats were trailing the Phillies four to two, and the, the Cubs were beating the Pirates one nothing. So, not a great start. Then the seventh inning happens for both teams. Trey Turner hits a grand slam <laughs> for the Nationals to go up six to four. Hunter Strickland ends up giving a home run shocker in the seventh, but the Nats end up holding on for a six-five win. And the Pirates score seven runs in their seventh inning against the Cubs to go up 
and win nine two against the against the Cubs and send the Nats to the playoffs. So that whole crazy lead up to the, the Walker game is is crazy in and of itself before we actually get to the game. Just that night, the doubleheader, the five game series with the Phillies. Don't forget the Nationals ended the season by sweeping their entire last eight game homestand against the Phillies and the Indians. They end up clinching home field for the Walker game that Saturday with a big win over the Indians. So they end up knocking out the Phillies and the Indians from the postseason that week. It was just a wild lead up to the wild card game, which of course became one of the most crazy games baseball has ever seen uh, in recent memory. And yeah, I mean the fact that they, they beat at that point, the Phillies did technically have something to play for. You know, they weren't officially eliminated. The Indians got eliminated against it at the Nats that really were not playing for anything that final weekend. That just went to show you how, how everything for the first couple months of the season, literally Murphy's Law, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And for the, it felt like for the final two weeks, anything that could go right went right. Um, they just were clicking at the perfect time. You talk about the hottest team doing the best in, in October, and that was the story with the Nats at that point. It just felt like they were unbeatable, um, and just they had it going. They, even though they, you know, they were treating each game like... Um, you know, like they were just going to go out and dominate. They were so confident going into every game. Um, and they just blew the doors off two teams that you could tell were just had lost it, had just lost their, their will to keep going at that point. Um, yeah, wow. What a wild finish to the season. And then uh, it rolled right into the, what a wild card game. Right. And so we're that flash forward to, I think Dave Martinez had announced that Max Scherzer was going to start the Walker game either that Saturday or Sunday, mm-hmm. leading up to one of the last games of the regular season. But, Paul, I remember you and I discussing on the podcast, like, is that the right call? Or should Steven Strasburg get the ball to start? He's been the more consistent and healthy pitcher over the course of the regular season. Yep. Yes, it's Max Scherzer, but he's still recovering from this injury. He's only been going 100 or so pitches over his last couple of starts. Can they actually trust him to go out and be effective against a, a really tough Brewers lineup. We'll get to Christian Yelich, his absence in a bit, Yeah, but it's still a brutal lineup to go through. Uh, a team that crushes home runs, and Max Scherzer, a pitcher, if, for, if he has any weakness, it's that he gives up a lot of home runs because of the way he pitches. He's so fastball heavy. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember but, the, yeah, not to cut you off, but I remember the conversation yeah, on that podcast being, you can justify it if he goes with Strasburg, but if they lose that game and he went with Strasburg and Strasburg struggles, it's a lot harder to explain than if he went with Scherzer and they lose that game. Right. And then the uh, the opposite was, you know, you could, you could stomach going down by starting Max Scherzer and then having Strasburg come out of the bullpen eventually. Because, you know, if you don't start Strauss, he's at least available out of the bullpen. Yeah. We've seen Max Scherzer come out of the bullpen in the postseason before. That didn't turn out to a great uh, for the Nationals. So it was an interesting conversation leading up to the game. But of course, Max does get the start. Uh, Paul, you you and I were obviously there for the wild game at Nationals Park doing mm-hmm. Mass and All Access shows and coverage. Uh, I totally forgot. It was 83 degrees. I know. On that's October the first 1st. note I made. That's the first note I it made. It was that hot. I forgot. I, yeah. I, I, so I'm going to try to do this bit where we go through the games where I'm going to try to wear what I would have been wearing <laughs> if I was watching as a fan. Are we going to have so to see just my plane? Do costume changes as we go through? Not, not middle of podcast, <laughs> just every week for okay. every game. Okay. Uh, so just a casual, normal red 
uh, Nationals t-shirt, but it's Nike dry fit because it's so it was so yeah. hot that night. I completely forgot how warm it was. Um, I'm yeah, and by the end of the podcast, you should be sweating through the pits because of how nervous you were. Um, as I well. probably will be. <laughs> um, no, that was the first. Yeah, and um, um, what's his name? Who's the the TNT guy who was calling the game? Um, Ernie Johnson. Er- Ernie Johnson. He's like, it's 83 degrees here in our nation's capital, and I was like. <laughs> It was 83 degrees. <laughs> yeah, yep. um, that was wild. Another thing I made pre note, I made pregame. I had no idea that Victor Robles was like grabbed a rally towel and was waving it around as he was on the field for the first inning, like in center field. Yeah. I don't know where if he like put it in his pocket, if he got it from a fan. Like, I I think I've, I've already guessed out a fan threw it and he put it, it and, like and, put it in yeah. his back pocket. It yeah. was, but I, I Which had is very cool. never noticed that because all, all kinds of things I didn't notice until I watched the broadcast. Um, cause our yeah. 5,000 foot view from the Nats press box. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And for those at home who are listening and following along, keep in mind, Paul and I didn't watch the body, the, the broadcast. Like yeah. we, we, this is a first experience for both of us. I think I had, I never went back and watched the game until this past weekend. Um, so you, you do catch a little things that you, we wouldn't have noticed, uh, yeah being in, in the press box, like you said, a thousand feet above the field. Yeah. Uh, totally forgot Aaron Baird throughout the first pitch. Yeah, me too. Totally. Yeah. What a great moment it was. It was very smart, very uh, obviously a nice gesture by the Nationals, a fan favorite, a guy who struggled so much, but I totally forgot yep. that he threw and throughout the ceremonial first pitch um, and got the crowd going to start. Nats Park was absolutely rocking. Um to start the game yep. and another thing a side note and i'll probably mention this as lo- as we go along but i don't and maybe it's just because it's watching on youtube or or it's after the fact i know what happens and i was actually there yeah i don't think the broadcast did nats park justice on how loud it actually was yeah before the game i think for most of the game obviously it was quiet because the nats were losing and a lot of it was seemed doom and gloom but then w- w- when we get to the juan soto hit it was shaking it yeah. was so loud and, and and just a crazy atmosphere i didn't get that sense that you could tell how yeah crazy it was off the broadcast well i also think it's funny how they like they, they especially after they start losing like they lined up every fan shot of oh yeah and yeah. like the most horrified expressions on their faces um just because they were like clearly their production meeting was like all right if they go down early we have to show how absolutely devastated the Nats fans are thinking we're going to be going through this all over again. Another elimination yep. game. Yeah. And they had it prepared. They had all the stats of the previous losses ready to go. Yeah, there I was mean, some, they were just anticipating it. I, yeah. I made a note later, but there was a stat that they threw up six straight postseason losses with a chance to eliminate opponent. Um, but they also said that they were one in eight all time in those games, which doesn't make sense because when would they have won a game in the playoffs when there was a chance to beat or to eliminate an opponent when they have then advanced. They, they never, yeah, they never have that, that. So I saw to that eliminate like, maybe in maybe, maybe that might be like maybe in a do or die game, but then they would have advanced. They, oh, no, you no, mean, like if, if they were facing elimination, like right. they starved off elimination, but it said with, but I'm pretty sure it's, I think they've with, done that multiple with a times. chance to eliminate their opponent. Yeah. I don't get ah, that. Well, that's incorrect because they've lost. Yeah. They've lost what three game fives, right? Um, no, yeah, three game fives in 2014. They lost in five, or no, they lost, lost in four in, games. In four games, and against yeah. San Francisco. So, all right, yeah. yeah but anyway, I thought that was incorrect. a weird stat. It was like 
Very strange. Uh, weird way to put it. You could just say they lost three game fives and a game four. <laughs> um, but right. anyway. Um, all right. First inning. Um, Scherzer comes out, obviously, lighten up the gun. Um, he's throwing 100. Uh, he, I, I didn't realize how much he had struggled against lefties um, in the second half of the season, especially. I think um, somebody on the broadcast threw out the stat that he all of his home runs after the after he came back from injury were given up to lefties, wow. um, which was weird. But um, Eric Thames was one of those lefties. But before we get to that, um, you know, he gives up. Uh, he, he strikes out Grisham, uh, called out on strikes um, before the homer. Um, or, or Sorry, Grisham gives, he gives up the homer to Grisham. Um, and Grisham could have been called out on strikes, which I had forgotten. Um, there was, or no. Sorry, well, no, he, walks, he walks. He walks Grisham. He, he walks Grisham. <laughs> yeah, he gets two tough calls. The the, the yes. last two ball calls are real close. He Very gets two close. tough calls. Ends up in a walk, and um, then and gives, then, up, and the gives up the home run to Yasmani Grandal. That's right. Um, yeah, though I remember uh, looking at that and re- during the rewatch and thinking that either of those calls could have gone the other way. Yeah, so it's two and two, and he gives up two straight balls. Both of them were like right on the border. I think. The fifth, it was six. It was a six pitch at bat. I yeah. think the fifth pitch was the one I thought he got him. I think I even did like a little fist pump. Uh, we were watching the game. I was like, he got him, and then they called it a ball. Yeah. I think the sixth one was a little way more outside, more obviously outside um, than the, the previous pitch. But the fifth one was real close, and then of course that set up the two run home run. Yasmani Grandal was just jumping on the first pitch he saw yeah. from Max Scherzer all night. I think he he gets he gets the home run. I think he gets a base hit in his next at bat, and then his third at bat, he swings hard at the first pitch. So he must have had that in his mind, or the Brewers did all night. That jump on him early, don't let, don't fall behind him because otherwise yeah. he'll put you away. They were attacking Max from the start. Yeah, they. I remember there were numerous at bats where they swung at the first or second pitch. Um, frankly, so they got three runs off him. Frankly, they could have gotten a ton more um, as the game went along. Mm-hmm. But he gives up two in that first inning. Uh, bottom half of that first inning. I forgot how hard Brandon Woodruff threw. Um, he was pumping out 100 um, pretty yep. consistently. Uh, he got uh, back-to-back 100-mile-an-hour fastballs to get Adam Eaton in the first inning. Um, I remember that sticking out. Um, second inning, Eric Thames hits that solo par- uh, homer to pretty much the deepest part of the ballpark. Um, I just remember, wow, that guy is strong. Like, he basically, if you look at that pitch, it's it's low and a little bit away, and he basically yep. one-hands that homer. I mean, he his, yep. his uh, left hand lets go of that bat so early. He is so ridiculously jacked. Um, and, wow, what a, he, he absolutely muscled that. So, good thing that he's on the Nats now. Yeah, he gave, he flashed what Nats fans will hopefully be looking forward to if, you know, we played baseball this season, but yeah, he's so unbelievably strong. That pitch, unlike the pitch to Grandal, that wasn't a bad pitch. Thames just went and got it, and he yeah. just muscled it out of there. Um, like you said, basically one-handed. It was also funny because the broadcast entering the top of the second, they started talking about Max's postseason woes and how he struggled throughout the postseason. And, and you know, no fault of his own all the time. You know, he just runs into bad luck. And Thames hits a home run on the first pitch. Yeah. Or like the next pitch that he shows. I think it was like the second pitch of the at bat. The next pitch first that pitch. Max tosses. It was the first yeah, pitch. Thames yeah. Mu- Thames muscles it out of there. Um, so at that point, 
I'm freaking out. I'm like, this is over. It's not going to happen. Here we go again. Matt, I mean, they're, they're just, it's warm out. The ball's flying. This team hits a bunch of home runs. The Nats at the bottom of their first inning seem to be swinging at every swinging and missing at everything. Like you said, Woodruff was pumping a hundred. Um, and, and he had, they had the right guy on the mound. He was 18 and the Brewers were 18 and four in Woodruff's 22 starts over the course of the season. Um, and they were just jump. Both teams had the same approach, jump on the pitchers early. The Brewers were connecting. The Nats were not. And that's what frightened me. It's like, they're not going to be able to muster any offense off this pitcher and off this bullpen. Once it gets to there, three runs might be all the Brewers need to win this game. Yeah. And then in the bottom half of that second inning, speaking of Woodruff, he got Soto on, uh, on strikes, 99 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, uh, swinging and missing, fastballs up and out of the zone. And already, um, and we'll get to Soto's struggles in the field, but already it, it just kind of seemed like there was going to be a narrative that was going to start to form if Soto struggled in that game. It's the narrative of he's just not quite ready. You know, he's not quite ready to, to face playoff atmosphere and playoff baseball and boy, was that wrong. But that was he just looked very outmatched in that first at-bat. Um, also, I noticed a, a, a cute little moment as uh, Eric Thames and Howie Kendrick were chatting when Howie Kendrick got on base. So look at that. The two Yay. future Nats first baseman. Uh, well, yeah. well, Kendrick, who knows? But look at that. You know, future teammates. Nice little moment. Yeah, Howie, Howie Kendrick delivers the Nats first base hit. Um him and Trey Turner's upcoming home run are the only offense the Nats mustered like the first like I want to say five innings I believe it is. Yeah. Um, but back to Soto, obviously the double bases clearing double is going to go down in Nats history forever. Yeah. You know people will be talking about for all time one of the best moments for a young player, one of the best moments in this franchise's history. But I think people are going to forget. Soto actually had a bad game. Yeah. He did not play well. Yeah. He did not play well in the field. He struck out twice. Yep. Uh, only went one for four. That one obviously being the big one. That's all that really matters because it helped the, the team advance. But overall, Soto had a pretty poor game. Not to mention leading up to this game, he was enduring like his first slump of his like young major league career. He was hitting 167 over his last 22 games, entering the wildcard game. His batting average dropped from 299 to 282 over that course of, of the last month of the season. So that was kind of the Juan Soto that we had seen in, throughout September early on in the wildcard game. And it was, and you and I talked about this too, I, I believe in the podcast, like it doesn't matter who the Nationals start, whether it's Scherzer or Strasburg or who comes out of the bullpen. If the offense doesn't score, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're going to need to, they're going to rely on Trey Turner and Adam Eaton up top. They need Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto and Harry Kendrick to drive in runs. And if they can't manufacture runs, it doesn't matter who starts on the mound because the Brewers, they're going to figure out a ways to muster runs. Uh, they mentioned on the broadcast so many times how the Brewers had, you know, they just pound the ball. They, 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 they wear you out. They, they can hit home runs, but they can also drive in runs once they're on base. That offense was dynamite even without Christian Yelich um, and early on the Nats offense did not look like it was uh, up to snuff yeah and I remember at the bottom half of that second inning Kurt Suzuki crushed a ball to left field and I thought that ball was going off the bat like both it times. should have been live I remember thinking that and um, I don't know I, I just don't know he absolutely hammered that ball um, yeah. and it just had the feeling of Homer and um, that was one of several hits throughout the postseason that would not be homers that look like a homer. Right. And, and just another example of 
in real time, it just felt like it wasn't the Nationals' night. Yeah. That like that ball should have any other night. That's a home run. It, yeah, he smacked that ball. It was eighty-three degrees. A home run. Like <laughs> that ball oh, yeah. should be out of there. Yeah. Well, he hits a home run very similar to that in the World Series. His only home run of the postseason, his yeah. first World Series home run, um, and that ball just absolutely. And you can tell the, the, all the replays. That ball is going, going, and then just dies just at the died. warning yeah. track. And, and I think that moment. I think that was what the top, the bottom of the second. Bottom two. That, yeah. That's Park had already calmed down a lot since the beginning of the game. Obviously, go down three nothing. That took whatever remaining air was in the stadium right out. Yeah. I mean, it was just dead silent because it just seemed like, oh boy, here we go again. Yeah. Um, only notes I have for the third inning was I forgot about those dumb mid-game inter- on-field interviews with the managers that they did. Oh yeah. Um, really hated those. I really hated the fact that it was on the field and they made Craig Council get out of the dugout between innings of a wild card game to do an interview. I'm sorry. That is ridiculous. (laughs) Like that is, it is a winner take all game. He needs to be paying attention to every single inning and every single moment of that game. Ugh. Yeah. That that was just so annoying. Um, Yeah. And then then a bottom of the third is when Trey hits his home run right after the broadcast was talking about how he hasn't been hitting with his index finger throughout the whole season after he broke it in in, early on in the, in the year. Um, Just another, funny timing thing where as soon as they talk about it, boom, he hits home run. Finally, the Nats get a hit and the ball leaves. Um, and, and and they mentioned that Trey Turner has been, you know, he's got sneaky pop. He's been hitting the ball well leading up to the Walker game. He had five home runs in his 10 games leading up to the postseason. And then he makes it six out of 11 uh, with his third inning home run. And uh, it was also on Brandon Woodruff's 42nd pitch of the night. Um, y- you know, looking back, maybe Craig Council should have... Uh, Pulled Brandon Woodruff. He was he was cruising, but at that point, forty two pitches might have been a little bit uh, long for how much they wanted him, considering how much we expected them to rely on the bullpen. But they let him go, and maybe it was just one batter too much. Yeah, I mean it, it was. I mean, luckily for them, no one on base. It was just a solo yeah. shot. Cuts the lead to three to one. Um, I've totally forgot. I mean, I know that. Um, the Nationals obviously did the dancing in the dugout after home runs. I totally forgot Trey Turner was doing the uh, remember the yes. Titans one. Yeah, uh, that was great. Uh, but back to Woodruff. I mean, yes, that's was kind of a, hic- a, a hiccup. He also gave up the single to Howie Kendrick earlier in the game. But then if we flash forward to the bottom of the fourth, he cruises to the fourth. Yeah, uh, he gets run down and Soto out pretty quickly. Um, Howie hits a line drive, another hit that looks like. That should go through. Any other night, that goes through, and and the Brewers make a, a hell of a stop uh, to, 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 to get Howie out. So he gets through the fourth pretty easily, and I think they can mention on the broadcast too, that was Craig, Craig Council's plan the whole long. Get him four innings, get to the bullpen, and then put this team away. Yeah. It looked like everything was lining up for Milwaukee that night. Um, top of the fourth was when Juan Soto had that horrible misplay off yes. the that was bad. I mean that rewatching that that was a bad. He turns the wrong way. It looks like he loses tra- sight of the ball and he can't track the ball when it is uh when he reaches back for the wall and get, totally gets turned around. Um he's lucky that um on rewatch that Ryan Braun hit that ball, I believe. And Ryan Braun was have had a lower leg injury. He had a, like a, a soft tissue groin cramp or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it was groin. Or, um, I can't. It was some soft about tissue. That too. Yeah. So um, any other night, because of the way that ball caromed, Braun might be at second, 
Um, just and and Soto's throw in was terrible. It was like a, it was a dribbler basically. Um, yeah. So a, a healthy Ryan Braun could have stretched that to a double. That could have been a really costly mistake. Um, and then I forgot uh, Scherzer was really getting into some trouble in the fourth. Um, they had an opportunity to add on, and then uh, Arcia had, I think he had bases loaded, or he had base, uh, runners in scoring position, and he swung and missed on a ball that was about four feet outside the zone. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it was a clear opportunity for them to, to blow that thing wide open, and the Nats got lucky. Yeah. Uh, back to the Juan Soto misplay. That was off Eric Thames' bat, and... Oh, that was Thames. You know, okay. we just talked... To- yeah, it was Thames. It was all, okay. all Thames. I think Braun was on base. Okay. Um, oh, no, sorry. It, it was no one on base. It was Thames. It turned into a long double, but it could have maybe should have been a homer. That yeah. was it's it's kind of funny to think about. Like, I'm talking about how nothing's going the Nationals way. Nothing's going the Nationals way. But now looking back at my notes and having rewatched the game, there are certain small moments that, that ended up doesn't look like in the grand scheme of things went the Nats way, but when you look at the whole thing as a whole, it did because that could have been a home run. It probably yeah. should have been a home run. Uh, he muscled it out the opposite way. Uh, and just because Juan Soto misplayed it, we think, oh, boo, poor Nats. Like, here we go again. Everything's falling apart. No, I mean, that actually turned out for the best. And then flash forward also to the end of the inning. Max Scherzer gets out of a jam for the first time um, that night. I mean, that's he's got runners on base. He's got uh, the heart of the lineup coming up. You would think that this is a dangerous time. He really needs to get out of this inning clean, and he does. Yeah. And we kind of start seeing Max turn the page of his postseason history, the kind of idea that he doesn't perform well or he has bad luck in the postseason. He gets out of a jam when he needs to and kept the Nats in the ballgame. Yeah. But still, Juan Soto doesn't get that hit. Narrative is still he blew it at that point, which is crazy. Yeah. I um, mean, again, uh, we're, yeah. we're now coming up halfway through the game, and Juan Soto is not looking hot. No. Uh, fifth inning. Um Max is still on the mound. He threw a ton of pitches in the fifth. Uh, long at-bat uh, for Mike Moustakis um, with two on um, before he popped out. Um, another long, laborious inning for Max Scherzer. Um, and then I have in the bottom half of the fifth, um, they had the Nats themselves had an opportunity. Uh, Robles had a single, which Robles <laughs> did, had... Lost in their incredible World Series run was the fact that Robles did not have a very good postseason. Um, yeah. And it that was, I just remember thinking, was that like his only hit of the postseason? I just like cannot remember <laughs> moments where he got on base. But he got a single. Uh, Dozier came in to pinch hit and got an infield hit um, after two terrible strike calls um, that were yes. up in the zone. Like, wait, yep. like, Brian Dozier is not a tall man. He is like my height, like 5'8", and those pitches were, like, chin level. Like, ridiculously yeah. high, and it was back-to-back strike calls. Um, but Dozier got an infield hit, and then Trey Turner um, popped out. So the Nats were, all of a sudden now, wasting opportunities. Narrative is being written. The snowball is gaining momentum. Um, it's not looking good. And so now, take that idea of it's not looking good, Bruce had the momentum. Go back to the top of the fifth inning. Uh, Max Max is laboring. He is struck. He like you said, tough at bats against Grandal and Mustakis. Eight yeah. pitches and seven pitches. His pitch count is getting higher. I think this is the first time we see. I think Daniel Hudson actually gets up to start warming first mm-hmm. before uh, Strauss does. 
Uh, and then Strauss obviously ends up starting to warm up in the bottom of the inning to go in uh, for, for Max. But he, he, he walks Travis Shaw, uh, gets Grisham to fly out or pop out. Uh, that eight-pitch battle with Grandel ends up in a walk and then gets Moose to pop out to third base. So there were two guys on, and in comes Keston Hira. Yeah. Now, this is the guy, their 21-year-old rookie, who's replacing Christian Yelich in their lineup. And this is kind of what I think I think people also forget about this game, and that I definitely did. And this is my big takeaway is that if – and this is nothing against Keston Hura, but if it's Christian Yelich, I think this game ends very differently. If Christian Yelich is in that spot, two on, two out, Christian Yelich absolutely crushes Max Scherzer. He hits like 400 against him with like five extra base hits and three home runs. I think, I mean, obviously what happened to Christian Yelich is terrible. We're hopefully that he's going to be able to play sometime soon in 2020. Um, but who would have thought back in the day? And, and the other thing too, is that after Yelich went down, the Brewers like caught fire for whatever reason. They like won either. They won like 18 games over the course of the regular season to close out and yeah. clinch this postseason berth. But if Christian Yelich is in that spot instead of Hira, I, I think that the game ends very differently because Hira ends up striking out three times over the course of the night, and I don't think Yelich does that in a big stage like that. And and, and I think he uh, catalysts the the Brewers to a victory. So no Christian Yelich, obviously on the face of it is huge, but in the spots that he would be in up that he wasn't, I think loom large too in how this night ended up turning out. I want to see a deep dive stat, not deep dive. It would take like. 20 minutes, but I want to see how all rookies did against Nats pitchers in the postseason because Keston Hero was hmm. an awesome young player, a rookie, um, had a, by all accounts, had a They're great regular season. Yeah, had a great regular season yep. and just really struggled, looked totally outmatched in all of his at-bats. I think he struck out three times or twice. He did. Um, yeah, he struck out his first three at-bats. And uh, looked totally overmatched against Max Scherzer. And then I think of the World Series, I think of Jordan Alvarez, who broke all kinds of records as a rookie with the Astros, could not get a hit off Nats pitching in the World Series. Um, and yeah. it, it kind of goes to show how that's how the Nats built their roster is with these veteran pitchers and these veteran starters like Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin. And they just dominated the younger players. Um, and we saw it on both sides. We saw how Victor Robles struggled in the postseason. He's only, he was only 22 at the time. Juan Soto was the exception, but you know that it's just another example of the Nats veterans taking advantage of a younger team that they're going up against. Yeah, um, uh, I was wrong. Yelich hits 345 off Max, but with a 1.146 ops, <laughs> three woof. home runs, five RBIs, five extra woof. base hits. So if Yelich is in some of those spots that Hero was in, I think the game ends differently. So yeah. a, a small thing that did actually end up going the Nats' way. Yeah. Um, then in the sixth, Strasburg comes in. He allows a leadoff single, then an easy double play to get out of it. Um, that is the beginning of an awesome run for Strasburg in this game. Yes. Um, bottom of the sixth, Juan Soto. I'll only have a note I have. Nats went quietly. Juan Soto struck out again to end the inning. Chasing. Chasing. Looked bad uh, and looked pretty peeved afterwards. Um, and the narrative continues. Um, that might have been their last opportunity, I thought, because yeah. that was the heart of the order at the bottom of the six. They might get one more at bat, but by then it might be too late. Well, especially because Hater was looming in the 
the Brewers. Exactly, moment. and you're thinking you're thinking Josh Hader's going to get uh, a two inning save, six outs. Um, you don't want to face him. Yeah, but remains to be seen. Um, seventh inning. Uh, that was the only note I have is that weird stat that came up. The six straight postseason losses with a chance to eliminate opponent. opponent. Weird. Uh, but that's the only note I have on the seventh. Do you have any notes on the seventh? <laughs> um, just that Strasburg cruises again. I mean, he yeah. gives the leadoff single in, in the sixth, but the seventh he cruises. And like you say, he's sort of flashing what he's going to end up showing throughout the postseason. Obviously, the eventual World Series MVP. Um you know, he's showing and also don't forget, this is his first relief appearance ever. I mean, I think yeah. they mentioned he appeared out of in relief in the All-Star game previously. But like in an actual game that counts regular season or postseason, maybe even spring training, he's never done it. Um, and to do it on this stage and go out and shove the way he did. Pretty impressive. And it was he was showing things to come throughout October. Yeah. Uh, all right. Eighth innings when all hell breaks loose. So, yeah, let's I, I just want to skip ahead to the bottom of the eighth. Um, yeah. So, first, Robles is up. Um, he, uh, for, I, I noticed that the first two pitches that Josh Hader throws to Victor Robles, high and just totally missing, kind of shows you a hint of that maybe Hader might not have it, but Robles ends up striking out. Then comes up Michael A. Taylor. So the Nats have, uh, what, five outs to play with. Michael A. Taylor, pinch hitting. Hit by a pitch in one of the most controversial hit by pitches that yep. uh, <laughs> ever. On replay, it looks like it hit his hand simultaneously as it hit the bat. Like, it is almost impossible. It, I think it might have hit his hand a, a fraction of a second early, but it's just about simultaneous. Yeah, I, I uh, it's tough. I remember the night of watching the replay in the press box, I was certain that it hit his hand first yeah. or maybe his wrist first. And that might've been like the inner fan in me, like willing it or like, just like wanting to see it hit his hand first. Cause last night watching it, I wasn't too convinced. I, I went back and watched it a couple of times and they showed it the replay a thousand times, but it's, it's, I think you're right. It's almost at the exact same time hitting both, if not a fraction of a second, hitting his hand first because you can see the bat and the rest of his forearm vibrate basically at the same time. And like they point that out on the broadcast, like look, what we'll see what moves first. You see a vibration down his forearm, but you see the bat also shake. I think it's so hard to tell. I think it's important that they called it a hit by pitch on the field. So they, yeah. they need conclusive evidence that it hit the bat first to switch it. They didn't have that. Either way, uh, the other thing, too, is that, yes, it puts Michael A. Taylor on base, which obviously starts this whole crazy inning, but he wouldn't have been out if it hit the ball. For, it would have been a dead ball. Right. So, he would have got Because it, it ends up hitting him. Yeah, and it's a full, it's right. a full count at that point. Um, but right, still, so it would have been a dead ball. He would have still been able to hit. It wouldn't have been an out or anything. But, yeah, putting him on base, you'll take that over having to face Josh Hader for another pitch or so. Exactly. Uh, so he gets on. And but also the, remember people being sorry before we move no, on. Good. Also remember people being pissed that Michael A. Taylor was pinch hitting instead yes. of Zimmerman. Yes, <laughs> I forgot that how many times Zimmerman got up on the on deck circle and then sat back down. That happened like three times in yeah. the course of this game, and people going ballistic with Michael A. Taylor. Now he only faced Hater once in his career beforehand, but 
Michael A. Taylor hit a home run off him. So right. he's seen him before, has had success. Obviously, we know he has some pop. And he's also, I mean, they both are. Zimmerman, well, I'll get to Zimmerman in a bit too, but they're both high strike hitters. Like they feast yeah. on those high fastballs, which Hader was pumping out, and they're both righties. Um, so it wasn't a bad, obviously it all ended up playing out, but people were questioning Dave Martinez really heavily by not using Zimmerman and instead going with Michael A. Taylor. And it works out because Taylor gets on base and then Zim comes up and he gets on base shattered bat, uh, classic line of bat died a hero. I thought FP Santangelo was calling the game for a second. Um, hit it <laughs> basically into the Bermuda triangle right behind second base. Um, and thus starts, you know, the, he's, you can already see he's going back to the bench doing the little, uh, looking at the bench doing the uh, mini baby shark. He's enjoying himself. There it is. There's the baby shark for those watching. Um, they have runners on first and second. Uh, then Rendon, who I had just seen yawning, yawning on the bench. <laughs> yep. Mere moments before, he was in the hole when he was yawning on the bench. Um, he comes up and works a bases loaded walk. Just totally in control. Just totally in control of that at bat. I mean, he looked like he was not going to chase anything. The crowd was chanting MVP. Uh, It was one of the most pressure-packed situations of the course of the game. And a winner go home. Yeah. Single game. Uh, And, yeah, he was cool as a cucumber. I mean, he did not flinch. That's the Anthony Rendon regrown to to love um i'm gonna miss him dearly we're all gonna miss him dearly. nats fans already miss him um the angels got a great one but that moment specifically is why anthony rendon is so great nothing phases him it could be that moment in the winter go home wild card game or that could be his first at bat in the game at the end of may who cares like he's yeah. always calm cool and collective ready to, to take at bat i guess one of the best pitchers the broadcast said that josh is probably the best Closer outside of a Rodas Chapman in the game, yeah. For the way he throws, left-handed, high heat, strong. Anthony Rendon was not phased at all, no. um, and and came out and drew a crucial walk. Um, last note I have before Soto's hit: the damn Marlins man was standing back there, and I didn't even notice yeah. him until the eighth inning. I knew he was there. I didn't. Yeah. He must have snuck down there because he was not there for yeah. the first half of the game. Brutal. But uh, then Soto delivers the biggest hit in franchise history up until that point. Yeah. Um, an outstanding, it just uh, everything broke right. Ball gets past the right fielder. Uh, Andrew Stevenson, who had come in for Zim, races home. Anthony Rendon scores. It doesn't, yeah, Rendon scores. They they um, take the lead. It's... Uh... Yeah, it's Michael Taylor on third. Andrew Stevenson uh, pinch runs from uh, Ryan Zimmerman, and then uh, Rendon's on third, which also is crucial that those are the guys on base. That's allowed them to score three runs because if that's anybody else, I don't know if Anthony Rendon or whoever's at first scores from first base. So it's only a tie game at that point, possibly. Yeah, so um, (laughs) I also thought about what would have – and, you know, so uh, Soto – Races past second base. He gets caught in a pickle and gets um, tagged out between second and third. They're up 4-3, and Ernie Johnson says, and he's tagged out, but nobody cares here because, you know, they just took the lead. What if they had lost that game? What if the Nats had lost that game in the ninth inning or extras and Juan Soto had gotten tagged out? Another one of these what-if scenarios that we would have a totally different narrative um, if things had gone just a little bit differently. But at that point, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. No, it didn't matter. I, I've heard, 
I don't know if this is true. People say, and, I, and I've heard people read or say that Juan Soto did that to draw the throw so that so that the third Rendon could, could score. score. Yeah, maybe. But but I mean, if if you're the Brewers, why aren't you, I mean, if yeah, why would you fall for that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why would you care? For, why would you care if he's going to third? You should be getting the run at home. Right. So I I, so I don't think we have the exact camera angle to see if that's whether I would have to see like a wide shot yeah. and see if that's actually true. Um, if he actually did that on purpose, but regardless, yes. And the moment, I mean, actually, I think I did care. I was like, what are you doing? Like, stay on second. I, yeah. Cause who's next? Howie. I mean, Howie is the only one who's been hitting the, consistently the rest of the night. Yeah. So you might as well stay on base, but you know, in hindsight, it, what a great moment. Obviously I love the shot of left field bleachers and all the beer being thrown up in the air. Everyone's going crazy. And again, this is a moment where I don't think the broadcast gives Nats Park justice on how loud it actually was. Those fans were going crazy. Yeah. And it was uh, so much fun to be there. It was insane. Um, and just a wild atmosphere. And, and the, where Soto comes where he is, he gets tagged out and he takes off his helmet and he's still so fired up. Um, yeah. I mean, that is, there are plenty of, of iconic moments throughout that postseason run but to me that is the moment that i think will stick out in my in that head the most um it's just incredible yeah that's the thumbnail for uh the video on youtube of him yeah. being jacked up that's the moment i think people when people think of juan soto yeah. yeah they're gonna think of that they're gonna think of the back carry to first base yes um and hopefully more care hopefully more moments like that to come another note that i i came up with mm. like Think about Juan Soto, and, and we touched on this a lot in the in the World Series when he had big games against the Astros, especially six and seven. Juan Soto, he's so good because he can adjust on the fly. He's so good at facing a pitcher the second time, the third time. And the Brewers are built the exact opposite of that. He only faced Woodruff twice, struck out both times, and then the rest is the bullpen. So he doesn't get to Juan Soto doesn't get to do what he does best, which is get comfortable with the pitcher. Uh, and settle in and, and anticipate what they want to do against him. The changing of arms for that the Brewers do is the exact opposite of how you, or is the exact way you beat a guy like Juan Soto because he can get used to the pitchers that are coming out. And then I think that's interesting that he comes against one of the hardest throwing lefties as a left-handed hitter and gets it, it was also Josh Hader's one mistake. That ball yeah. was not supposed to be where it was. It was down the middle, right in Soto's sweet spot. Um, it ended up working out for the Nationals, but I just thought, you know, Kind of the whole theme, everything that went wrong for the Nationals, but it, it somehow worked out. The Nationals were not supposed to win this game, but they ended up doing You know, the weird balance in right field um, to allow three runs to score. Yep. They weren't supposed to win this game, but they ended up doing. Uh, so by, you know, just pure luck, skill, freak accent, I don't or know. The, it was just an incredible game. The universe paying them back for three heartbreaking they, they deserved yes yeah. thank god also uh, i don't know if you noticed but on the mlb.tv broadcast they cut to commercial and i think you can hear jeff francor in the background go holy crap no but he doesn't say crap <laughs> <laughs> i did not notice that wow uh that's yeah. funny and i think everyone had that moment yeah uh after that after that hit um all right ninth inning um at this point, I wasn't even watching. I was downstairs getting ready for the celebration. None of us were. Yeah. <laughs> we were all scrambling, running around. Um, by the way, also, I, I brought this up on the podcast. I remember when we did it, but we were the Nats were in the seventh or eighth inning. We we wrap our cameras in trash bags when we are getting ready to go down to um, a clubhouse champagne celebration. They were down three to one, and I remember saying to Amy Jennings, 
who works, who's one of our videographers, journalists. I said, wrap the cameras. And she said, are you joking? I said, wrap them just in case, because we can't be in a situation where we're scrambling and we're trying to wrap these cameras if they come back. Lo and behold, they came back, Bobby. Um, but anyway, all right, ninth inning. Daniel Hudson comes in over Sean Doolittle. I remember that being kind of a, what could yep, have been a controversial decision had it gone wrong. Um, and uh, Lorenzo Cain singled with one out to put the winning run, or, well, go-ahead run, rather, to, at the plate. Um, and then Hudson gets a huge pop-out on the first pitch to get two outs, and then uh, a pop or a fly-out to Victor Robles, and Robles had the the dopest celebration, of, like which I had also forgotten um, because we weren't watching it live at that point. Just throwing his, uh, his arm up in the air. Just so much swag coming off Victor Robles. Yeah, you, you guys were smart. Well, I guess you were smart to get ready and go because Huddy made quick work in the yeah. ninth inning. Aside from the single, it's, I, I also remember it being interesting that he came in instead of Sean Doolittle yeah. Because Eric Thames was up to bat, a left-handed. Like Dave Martinez brought in Hudson to face a lefty, a yeah. power lefty, to start. And and Hudson, yes, he was fantastic the second half of the season for the Nationals. But he does have a history of giving up the long ball. That was an interesting call. But I mean, Huddy proved every or proved Davey right, I should say, as proved as opposed to proving everyone wrong. He proved Davey right by making quick work of the Brewers in the ninth inning. It was, it was just like so, like how long. The game actually wasn't that long, under three hours. Yeah. But I guess because it started at eight, it felt long. And they were losing most of the game, it felt long. But for how long the most of the game felt between the bottom of the eighth inning, then you flip it to, all right, now we're three outs away from winning the thing. And and the Huddy just cruising through that lineup, the, the single, the, only, the, the base hit, the only um, bloop. Uh, I mean, it was just incredible. And then all of a sudden now we're frantically trying to meet you downstairs to get in the locker room, waiting for the celebration. Um, and and it, it was, it was nuts. What a, what a change of events and how quickly that game flipped and then ended. Yep. And I remember at the top of the eighth having a conversation, I think with Amy Jennings also saying, I don't want to go home at this point. It's October 1st. I don't, <laughs> I don't want the season to be over. Like, I just don't want to, yeah. um, you know, from a, a reporter standpoint, I want to keep covering more baseball Little did I know it was going to go on 30 more days after that. Went until Halloween. Yes. I was also super nervous for that Ben Gamble hit that you talked about the the Victor Robles celebration after he caught the last out. Gamble hit that ball pretty well. That could have, I think I remember what you weren't watching it live because you were down the tunnel, but I remember watching that live and I think I had a, uh oh, kind of moment because, like you said, that was the go ahead run at that point and it went pretty deep and it's just, we talked about how Kurt Suzuki's ball early in the game died the warning track. The Nats finally get it to happen their way where the Brewers ball just dies short and falls short of, of the bleachers and stays in the yard and, and ends the game. So uh, another one of those crazy things that it actually ended up going the Nationals way when all hope had seemed lost or like seemed it wasn't going to go their way. Yeah. Even Ron Darling at the end of the broadcast goes, finally something good happened to the Nationals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and it really just set the tone for the entire postseason. It was it was a perfect yeah. um, encapsulation of how that month of October was about to play out. Yeah, and also don't forget we also missed 
all the on-field celebration because we were in line waiting to go into the locker room. They kept us waiting I, I, for so long. I mean, it, it was... They were out there for a yeah. long time. Yeah. yeah. But, but I remember the TBS cameras had to, like, crew had to move all of their stuff in. They were sprinting in. I was like, let's go. Like, these players are going to be falling asleep by the time we get into the clubhouse. Right. Um, but also, because, like, again, we didn't see it. It was also kind of funny seeing all the players go crazy. Their families are on the field. Yeah. And Davey Martinez is kind of, like, sitting back and, like, happy like he i think he's like talking to mr learner for for a little bit but like he's not overly excited because remember he's recovering from a heart procedure still yeah true <laughs> like he's he was like having to stay calm during all of this while his team is going absolutely ballistic on the field once was getting tackled by his family um i totally forgot about that the, yeah. the davy martinez having to like because we didn't see it but he's having to kind of stay back and kind of absorb it all from a distance because he can't get too hyped because of his, his heart condition yeah all right. Wow. What a game. What an exciting rewatch. Yeah, I mean, just an incredible game. Um, any other final thoughts before we uh, toss it to an Eric Thames interview from spring training? Uh, the only other thing I had was just this is for us, uh, you and I, is that, you know, we this is actually kind of fun because we you and I never did a real wild card wrap up podcast because oh, we had to get yeah. on a, a flight the next early next morning to That's L.A. Right. Our next podcast in the postseason didn't come to, I think, before game two of the NLDS. Um, yeah. So we never really had a full recap podcast. So I guess this is our after the fact recap of the uh, National League wildcard game. You know, what, six months later? One of about eight times in the month of October that we finished a game, finished getting doused in champagne, went to bed at 3 a.m., and then had a flight at 625. Yep. A, yep, I think that night, that wildcard night, I think I slept for a total of 45 minutes. Yeah, that was the first of five, or no, second of five champagne celebrations that we experienced. Because the first was the clinch, second was wildcard, third NLDS, yep. fourth NLCS, fifth wild, Five. Yep. Ridiculous. Yep. All right, uh, well, it's appropriate that we're talking about the Brewers and the wildcard game because we sat down with Eric Thames back in spring training to discuss his time overseas, um, spent in South Korea as a baseball player for the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization. And uh, he also talked a little bit about the wildcard game and uh, how he, uh, <laughs> he has gotten over it since then. He's found a way to, uh, to get over it and come to terms uh, with the loss. So here's Eric Thames back in West Palm Beach. Here with Eric Thames in West Palm Beach for National Spring Training. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, you are an off-season addition to this team, most recently with the Brewers. But I want to throw it back to your time overseas, your time in South Korea. Three seasons you played over there. You absolutely mashed. What was that experience like? Uh, I would say it was life experience. Just kind of like being out of your comfort zone and pretty much like a sink or swim kind of mentality. So, What knowledge of South Korea did you have upon signing over there did you know anything about the people the culture the language oh zero 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 <laughs> um i was actually kind of hesitant when my agent brought it up really like you know like you're, you're always afraid of the unknown yeah it's like this course. human nature and you know he convinced me and i was like you know what like let's go like it's time like it'll be nice just like be in one spot for the whole year uh learn my team i don't have to worry about going up and down triple a big leagues that kind of stuff so I was like, I'm good. So I went, and then I kind of fully embraced the culture and the people, and um, yeah, it taught me a lot about myself and about life in general. How quickly did it take you to acclimate to the culture in terms of, 
you know, the, the food that you eat, being able to communicate with your teammates, that sort of thing. I mean, I was never really fluent, so it's hard. I mean, you could say like small things okay. to people, but in terms of actually talking like deep philosophy, like there, there's definitely none of that. <laughs> um, gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, as soon as I landed, I mean, it was, I would say like when we landed in Seoul, we took a bus to, uh, to Masan, it's like a three and a half, four hour drive, mm-hmm. stopped at like a truck stop to get some like noodles and like, I never forget like me and my American teammates were sitting down. And the Korean guys were just eating their noodles, and the water was like boiling. It was like literally boiling, and they're just like crushing Jeez. the soup. And we're just like, all right, let's do it. Like, and our tongues were like numb. We're like, how do you guys eat this? Like, do you have like calluses? Uh, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. we're used to it. I'm like, all right, I'll just have a few like granola bars, and right. or I'll just right. like wait. And like, oh, we we gotta go. It's like my soup is still boiling, right. literally. So, like stuff like that, and you get used to it, and just like learning like what, what kind of foods you like, or like how to spell different words, and like how to walk at a restaurant and see, okay, this is a meat restaurant, <laughs> or it's like a chicken, or right. stuff like that. So you learn. I mean, you have to survive, you know. Yeah. Well, you stuck with American food to start with, right? You yeah. Went to oh yeah. Hitting up oh, Dunkin' yeah, Donuts. Yeah. yeah, I lived at Dunkin' Donuts for a few months, and it was just you know what's crazy too. Like over here, like cafes open up like at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. Their cafes open like at nine, ten o'clock. So if I was going, if it was a day game, right? I want to get some food. Like there's, it was closed. Like <laughs> stuff like that, like yeah. little like inconveniences are just like, I'm used to it being like this. So yeah. now it's like this. You just have to adjust right. slightly. But it was yeah. fun. Yeah. At the end of the day, it was, a, it was a fun experience. Well, on the baseball side, what were the fans like to interact with over there? Uh, the fans are amazing. I mean, it's just, if you've seen videos of fans in Korea and Japan, they're very active. Like you'll hear a lot of them say like they'll come to a, a major league baseball game and it'll be like, oh, this is boring. Because over there, it's like there's always music. There's yeah. like cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. There's like a yell leader guy like yelling chants. So each hitter has their own chant. <laughs> and everybody's like screaming, having fun. In the U.S., like, yeah, if it's, like, a big game or if there's, like, a big hit, guys, people will cheer. But there's no, like, music. There's no, right. like, energy. Do you miss that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, energy is always a great thing. You know, if you play, like, in a really fun ballpark, like, I was fortunate uh, being in Milwaukee. It was, like, crowd was loud. It was always packed. Mm-hmm. But you go to other stadiums that were just, like, empty and just, like, it's just, like, nothing. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like Miami sometimes. You go right. there and it's just, like, yeah. it's dead silence. It's, like, Pretty all right, quiet. well. <laughs> Let's go play some baseball. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you got to fire yourself up, but yeah. it's all right. Well, you got a taste of uh, Nationals Park when you came to oh, the wild yeah. card game yeah. at the most wild time of the year. I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm not bitter anymore, but, yeah, like, <laughs> I feel like in the eighth inning we had that game. The crowd was silent, and then once Soda got that hit, it was just complete, complete mayhem. It was so loud. Have you had time to mention that to Juan? No, and hey, you know what? He, he did his thing. He did it. Hey, it's baseball. You yeah. know, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose, you know, so he did his job, great hit, and he kept going. After that, it was like a spark plug, and he kept carrying the Nationals, and, um, you know, so good job on him. He's a world champion. You, yeah. you can never take that away. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking the time and sitting down, talking a little bit about your previous experience overseas, and then now joining the Nationals. Eric Thames joining us here on Mass and All Access.